Episode 86 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, remind the folks what those are. Those are, of course, the Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and the Star Trek, the animated series at this point. And this week we have special Muppet Show guest. I put in the word guest name and almost <laughs> read it out loud. <laughs> Uh, Read that teleprompter. I forgot to. Dizzy Gillespie. <laughs> and what's the name of the episode? The Survivor. <laughs> Folks, Steve's getting off being sick. So you might hear it in his voice a little I'm bit. I'm still on being sick. He's a trooper. Time. He's still showing up I'm, for us. I'm the survivor. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want me to read that again? No, you're fine. I think you can keep it all. All right. Muppet Show guest, Dizzy Gillespie, and animated series episode, The Survivor. And who is this person, Dizzy Gillespie, that we're going to be talking about tonight? Well, John Burks Gillespie, uh, better known by his stage name, Dizzy, was an American musician specializing in jazz trumpet. Uh, he was really what drove the popularity of a jazz style called bebop. He was one of the pioneers. And bebop had a faster tempo and was different from prior jazz in that it was, wasn't meant to be danced to. And because he broke this sort of convention, it opened up jazz to get really experimental and crazy. Mm. And he was like a big part of that. Um, but what is our audience known from? I mean, for most people, Dizzy Gillespie is one of four jazz musicians that most people can name. So that's pretty much it. And the trumpet. He's mainly known for the trumpet and uh well, yeah. And his giant that. inflating face and his cheeks that go out a mile. Yeah, dude. You get to see it a few times on the show. It is incredible. It doesn't look human. It's very strange. Uh, but what is he up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, the backstage plot centers around an investigation from Inspector LaBrea from the environmental department, uh, environmental department who's investigating a noise complaint. He puts a device backstage that hates loud noises, but especially hates trumpet. Oh, that's a problem for Dizzy Gillespie. <laughs> also, there's supposedly, I put this with the backstage, there's intercut scenes of Floyd Pepper and Zoot busking, presumably outside of the theater. It was strange. But it could have been on stage, but I put it backstage. <laughs> on stage this week, Kermit introduces Dizzy Gillespie, but first we get to meet Waldorf's wife, Astoria, who is Statler in a wig. <laughs> On stage, we get a gaggle of fish performing Bluefish Blues, a jazzy number with a backup band. Kermit welcomes Dizzy to the stage, who joins the Electric Mayhem for the St. Louis Blues. It's a jazzy tune which features Dizzy singing, some soft shoe dancing, scatting, and then, of course, some trumpet. Up next, we get Veterinarian's Hospital. A pig is on the table, professing his love for Miss Piggy. Dr. Bob proposes brain surgery because there must be something wrong with him. And then uh, it devolves into, like, general surgery jokes. It's like the most medically appropriate jokes maybe in the history of veterinarians hospital <laughs> following this we get jerry and the atrix the old lady band and they perform doo-wah diddy diddy and it is creepy as always <laughs> dizzy then hits the stage with zoot and floyd they perform little bit of this it's a jazzy it's jazzy and we get scat from both dizzy and floyd while zoot riffs 
We then get a throwback. Fozzie hits the stage for some regular stand-up comedy. He opens with a waka waka. Fun fact I read about this. Even though that's like his catchphrase, this this is the only time he says it on the show. The entire show? He said it in the movie. Oh. And that's what most people know it from. But this is the only time he said it on the show. Wow, weird. Uh, it originated in the Muppet movie. Uh, Waldorf's wife, Astoria, sort of hijacks Fozzie's routine, and Fozzie thanks her for being so funny and then gets off stage. <laughs> Kermit introduces Dizzy for his last set. Dizzy performs like a semi-racist feeling, Middle Eastern-inspired number yeah, was wearing odd. a turban. They perform Swing Low, Sweet Cadillac. Uh, he sings, he plays the drums, and eventually he does break out the trumpet. Kermit thanks Dizzy one last time. Dizzy admits that he admires frogs because of their ability to puff out their gullet. He then gives a very close-up demonstration of what Jarman described with his whole face and, like, neck <laughs> expanding. expanding. <laughs> and that is what we call The Muppet Show. So, Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with Dizzy Gillespie? Well, it was certainly – I've seen, like, cartoon representations of him before doing this and maybe pictures, but never get the full aspect of watching it happen in front of you on video, just his whole head and neck expanding while he plays trumpet. It's really weird. I think – I've seen pictures. I don't think I'd ever seen on video Yeah, the act of the expansion. You don't forget that sight. <laughs> that was mind-blowing. That's like a lifetime of doing that to the point where his body just accommodated it. And you see, like, old footage of Louis Armstrong, his cheeks would be all puffed out, too. Um, but that generally I played trumpet in high school and that wasn't something that you did because you're putting so much pressure on the front of your lips as you're blowing that you wouldn't really want to puff out your cheeks because that doesn't really help the pressure. It was kind of just a thing that they did. They probably were self-taught because, you know, they're badasses. But um, I don't know. That was just crazy to see. And playing being a trumpeter person back in the day I, I really appreciated it but well just enough trumpeters ended up with those big goofy saggy cheeks that someone said there's gotta be a better wig guys we don't have to do that anymore <laughs> we can't all grow beards <laughs> but i liked how his trumpets were always um he would face forward but the bell goes upwards so that yeah, way can, like the hi-hat trumpet yeah so we can like face the it. microphone and that way it's not blowing straight into the microphone which is kind of neat um but uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good episode. I liked Waldorf's wife being there, which was which Statler. I was confused who's who, which one's which. That's Waldorf because his wife is Astoria, Astoria the Waldorf yeah. Astoria. Um, but that was a cute. It's just having Statler in a wig. That was fun. Um, I think the backstage plot of the sound inspector being there when there's a trumpeter as the host was pretty funny. It was you know cute. Um, it felt like I needed more of that. Yeah, like it felt like they we put this device back there and we only got to see it played around with like once or twice. I feel like it needed more. I liked how they had Miss Piggy trying to seduce him so she so he wouldn't give them a bad grade. And and that turns out in the end that he's a huge Dizzy Gillespie fan. So he performs with him, yes. which is pretty cute. That was good. Um, Yeah. The guys in the alley, they kept cutting back to them in the alley busking or whatever's playing music. I didn't really understand that. It didn't really have a meet. There was no point to it happening. I was really confused and just done too much, I felt like. But. Otherwise, I feel like Dizzy was really good with the Muppets. And um, yeah, otherwise, so it was a decent uh, upper upper middle episode for me. I don't know. What about you? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you kind of upper middle. I can't identify anything specifically wrong with it, but there's never there were no sketches in it that I really enjoyed. We didn't get to see Dizzy do anything other than jazz. Right. Like soft shoe dancing may qualify, but that's kind of it. Um. It just, I agree. There just felt like there should have been more in there. And instead it was just mini sketches of guys busking. 
And we only had one time where Dizzy talked. That was at the very end. Like, otherwise, he didn't really do any yeah. talking in scenes. And he was he wasn't bad. So I don't know why they had him do more of that. But I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'd say upper upper middle. Certainly, yeah. I don't have any specific issues with this, but it definitely won't be top three. I right. Tell you. It's passing. It's a passing grade. <laughs> uh, music this week, Bluefish Blues, song written by Ray Charles. No, not that Ray Charles. Uh, he, this guy was often referred to himself as the other Ray Charles. Uh, he took over for um, Larry Grossman, who wrote Pig Calypso in those, um, as musical consultant for The Muppet Show beginning in season four. Mm. So he had just taken over, and this is one of his originals, Bluefish Blues. We get St. Louis Blues. Two different versions of this song have been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. The 1925 version with Bessie, Bessie Smith and Louis Armstrong was inducted in 1993, and the 1929 version of Louis Armstrong and his orchestra was again inducted in 2008. Uh, Do-Wah Diddy Diddy, um, originally performed by the Exeters, an American pop group, it was made famous by an English rock group, Manfred Mann. Oh, yeah. It topped the UK tr- charts and then came back across the pond to the US and topped the US charts after being made in the U.S. Weird. A uh, little bit of diss. I can't find much about this aside from the fact that it's written by Dizzy and from what I can tell may have been an original piece for the show. Oh, wow. Um, Swing Low, Speak Cadillac. This is from a live album by the same name released by Dizzy in 1967. Uh, this album received mixed reviews, and I'm going to read the quote from the paper. Uh, a strangely popular album from for Dizzy Gillespie, Swing Low, Sweet Cadillac, represents a period in his career where he was adapting to the times, keeping his goof factor on board, and individually played as well as he ever had. This is not an essential listing in his vast disc- discography. <laughs> it's like, it's all right. <laughs> it was good. He's good. It's not great. Jeremy, <laughs> uh, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, even though they're weird and creepy and they fit in that uncanny valley, I have to give it to the geriatrics. Uh, there's just a lot going on in that scene. A lot of foot tapping and feet moving and heads moving, mouths moving and singing. There's animal. I think there's a cat or something in there too. So just like, it's, it's probably a very hard scene to put together in time really well. So I feel like that was impressive. So my best puppeteering moment fits inside of that puppeteering moment Mm. where they do a close up on one of the grandmas and there's a thing of teeth in a jar up on a pedestal and the teeth sing along. And those teeth (laughs) get my best puppeteering moment because it was such a funny small gag that no one needed to put in there. (laughs) Just that little bit of extra. And it was still good. That little bit of extra and that really did it. I like it. (laughs) So what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the animated series? All right. Well, we have the survivor so this is um basically where we have the enterprise is patrolling near the, the neutral zone the romulan neutral zone but they i see this small ship that seems to be disabled but there is one life form on board and apparently it's this guy named carter winston he's a federation citizen and philanthropist who's been missing for five years and it just so happens that his old fiance from five years ago who still stayed true to him after all these years Lieutenant Ann Norred is still is serving on the Enterprise. What are the chances? Um, she's a security person on the Enterprise. So she goes to talk to him and he basically breaks off their engagement without any explanation. But he's like, you just have to leave. You can't. Uh, we can't be together. I wish I could explain to you, but I can't. So then we see the person who claims to be Carter Winston is really an alien who can shapeshift. 
and it's called a Vendorian. And he just taps basically Captain Kirk with one of his tentacles after he gets to his true form, knocking Kirk unconscious. And he takes Kirk's form and he immediately goes to the bridge and sends the Enterprise to inside the Romulan neutral zone, despite the protestations of the many crew on board. Um, and they think it's a very strange thing for him to do. But Kirk soon wakes up, the real Kirk, and he comes onto the, the bridge. He's like, why are we going to the neutral zone? Like, you just told us to. So he says that to leave. And so they go back to um, Dr. McCoy to get examined. But just before they got there, Dr. McCoy was taken over by the shapeshifter then as well. So now they're talking to a fake McCoy who's also acting strange, which makes Kirk and Spock suspicious. And when they, they go back into the uh, medical bay saying, wait, something was weird there. Let's go back in there. And they find the real Dr. McCoy who had just been knocked out. Um, so basically, they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. They eventually go into the uh, back part of the medical bay and Kirk notices there's an extra table there. That's not normally there. And he's like, that's it. Somehow he figures it out. And so he says he's going to pour acid on the table unless the, the Vendorian reveals its true form. And that's basically when it starts to take its true form and knocks them all out. And, but just then they're being, being attacked by, or not being attacked, but hailed by the Romulans who have found them. And apparently the rule in the, in the Federation this time is if they go into the neutral zone, the Romulans get to take their ship and they send them out away from the neutral zone, but they get to take the ship. So they don't want that to happen. But Kirk basically surmises that apparently this is all a setup and they want to get this, this Vendorian was working for the Romulans and going on board as a double agent to basically send them into the neutral zone so that the Romulans could take the ship. And since he figures out that it was all planned, he doesn't have to stick to the rules of the Federation because they tricked him and he's able, he's going to leave. But they start attacking and they think they're, all their shields are down. Uh, but the Vendorian takes the form of a shield and protects their ship. Um, so then they're able to escape and go away. And uh, <laughs> so apparently the Vendorian, the longer it takes the form of one of its people, like the, the form of Carter Winston, it starts to take on the personality and traits of that person and the feelings and the memories. And so he's basically falling in love again with his old um, Lieutenant Ann Norid, and she wants to be with him as well. So he's going to be arrested and face trial, but she gets to protect him in the end because um, he's had a change of heart to protect them because he's getting the feelings of this Carter Winston guy who was very good in life. Um, and so, yeah, she gets to go off and protect him and he has to go to trial. And that's Bruce the end of the episode. So, Steve, what do you think of this one? All right, so some things I liked. Um, even in the future, rich people were fancy ascots. I liked that. <laughs> uh, the doppel It was a doppelganger, which we've seen on Star Trek plenty of times, but I liked the interesting take that it could also become objects. Yeah. I feel like that might be the first time we've seen that. It added at least another dimension. That being said, it made it even dumber later when they, when they could find it. I was like, it could be anything. What? Do you, how the hell are they searching? <laughs> um, I loved the Vendorian's cross-armed animation when it would transform, like throwing its little tentacles up over its shoulder. It was such a precise animation. Yeah, it was a for choice. For some reason, I really dug it. Um, and then I, I love the great banter between Spock and Bones right at the end. Like, yes, if there were two McCoys, the ship would finally have enough doctors or something like that. I was like, whoa, <laughs> shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> Uh, things I maybe struggled with a little bit. Um, I hated, and this is just old misogynistic Star Trek, that the entire plot fell apart because of like the love of a woman <laughs> or a weak-willed woman 
falling for the ways of a man ruins the ship again. Like, I feel like we've seen that so many times and I thought it was over, but no, it is not. Well, they kind of throw it in its head a little bit by saying that he is actually changed because of his love for her. So that's kind of good in the end. I guess. But there was a point earlier, I think, where she let him go where she didn't know that. Right, right. And it was like, come on. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And the jump from he can be a table to he can be a deflector shield. (laughs) That's a big jump. May have been a bit too big. Um, (laughs) I understand it needed to happen, and I get why. It, like, redeemed him in the eyes of the crew, so there no explanation had to happen, whatever. But it was one of those, like, wait, wait, wait. So he went from being a rich guy to a table, to Doc McCoy, to the captain, back to a rich guy, to a deflector shield? (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Um, And then at the end... I thought it was funny that like the the female crew member had already betrayed them once and like really failed. And so who does Kirk put in charge of her of the guy's like security detail? The same person. The, the female crew member who already screwed up and like didn't do the right thing. I'm like, come on, that's a conflict of interest, and you know it. <laughs> they had a lot of those back then. Um honestly, I think this is one of the better ones so far. And that it was like a very simple story. It was like all, all of these are very simple stories and I'm digging it compared to Star Trek. And it was so all far. on the ship. You know, this is like kind of what didn't go to a plan or anything like that. It was all on the ship, like a bottle episode kind of thing. Just kind of. Well, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it was, I liked you, like you said, the shapeshifter we've, we've seen before, but I liked this take on the shapeshifter. Um, it had, you know, more scientific ish reasons why it could shapeshift and that kind of thing. I don't know. Like before, remember, it was just like, I learned the magic of shapeshifting. Remember <laughs> that was like, that was that other episode. This is a little better than that. So, yeah, that was a fun episode too. It went by fast and it was, there's no slow points, I don't think. It kind of just, you know, clipped along as all these episodes do. Um, but, anyways, uh, for trivia for this thing, we have a rare guest voice in the show with no previous Star Trek connection, which is Ted Knight who played Carter Winston's voice and Knight you might uh, recognize because he was famous uh, as Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary Tyler Moore. That guy. Anyways, he was on that show at the same time. So I guess he didn't want to be credited for this, but he's, he's not in the credits, but he is. That's him as that voice. Uh, this is the only episode in which Dr. McCoy's daughter, Joanna is mentioned. She was, she was to be featured in the way to Eden episode, which I think we talked about back when we reviewed that one. Uh, it was originally going to be titled Joanna, but this idea was scrapped. So she's just her first time being mentioned in canon. Um, it's the only time the Constitution class Enterprise is seen firing her phasers and photon torpedoes simultaneously, which is pretty oh, badass. Wow. Uh, features one of the first truly exotic non-humanoid aliens ever depicted in Star Trek besides the Horda, um, because this wouldn't be possible in a live action show. The way it floats and has the tentacles and stuff, it would look, look terrible in the live action show. Um, but it would have been a fucking marionette. It would have been yeah, terrible. Exactly. <laughs> Paper mache. Um, they had organians, medusans that are also exotic type aliens in the original series, but they were all just basically light effects. They were an actual. And tangible. the medusans. Yeah. It was like a box with a light in it. Exactly. So that was, this is the things you're able to do with this animated series at the time. But Steve, okay. what are our Trek Muppet connections for this week? Uh, well, in a non-canon Star Trek book, Fortune of War, the Gillespie is a shuttlecraft for the USS Titan. That's cool. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and then the Vendorian, as you mentioned, was voiced by actor Ted Knight. He was also on an episode of The Love Boat. <laughs> yeah. And 
as we've mentioned before, many, many Star Trek one-shot actors and Muppet Show guests have been on The Love Boat. <laughs> That's amazing. Of course he was on The Love Boat. But these were basically the same episode, weren't they, Steve? Oh, yeah. Both of them feature someone confusedly in love. The pig on the table that we've never seen before <laughs> with Miss Piggy and Ann Norred with Carter Winston. Oh, that's true. Uh, both have fishy looking creatures dancing around. We have the fish singer with the Gill brothers in the Muppet show and the weird fishy alien shapeshifter in the Star Trek episode. Both feature machines ha- taking various readings, the inspector's noise machine and bones malfunctioning medical device. Uh-huh. Both have our main characters trying to stay within regulations. Kermit the Muppets with the sound regulations and the inspector and the Enterprise with the Federation regulations against going into the Romulan neutral zone. Both feature doctors. (laughs) That's the end of it. Oh, my gosh. I thought there was more, but there was not. Oh, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, it's a part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? Trekton Muppets, I'm going to bring over the Vendorian slash Carter Winston and have him replace the inspector wandering backstage under the ruse of inspecting the place, body snatching people and then driving the show in odd directions. <laughs> I like that better than mine because I had something similar, but Trekton Muppets, I had Carter Winston uh, is going to replace the noise inspector because his reputation will precede him and he, everyone likes him, but he still shuts oh, them down yeah. for noise pollution because he's good at his job. Can he still wear the ascot? Of course. <laughs> that I'm in. I'm up to Trek. I'm going to bring Astoria, Waldorf's wife, and replace Ann Norred, nagging Carter about where he's been all this time and why he keeps wandering space without her. And then he really leaves. <laughs> uh, Muppet to Star Trek. I have Dizzy Gillespie would trade places with the shape shifting alien. It'll be his true form when he's just has a giant inflated head with cheeks and is spitting on everybody the whole time. <laughs> there's no trumpet yeah, involved. Yeah, it's like there's just acid in there. <laughs> he's like that that mutant oh yeah that's the spitter guy yeah no, see, no, no one likes that guy one. that was his real name yeah spitter guy spitter guy <laughs> so that brings us to the end of episode 86 of the muppet trek podcast join us next time for the muppet show with special guest liza minnelli and animated series episode the infinite vulcan so from the lovers the dreamers and us live long and prosper everyone Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 